to 11 is uh, where we're headed and uh, oh as always there, there is a feast and even though it seems like we have 15 minutes of verse if we're doing the old math I think we have 45 minutes of verse to, to cover so Josh would you read for us um, 1 to 11 kind of as a reminder of where we came from we have Carter our uh, Romans 8 9 expert resident expert um, on this and Carter's been feasting on that this week so I can't wait to hear there uh, from from Carter so Josh how about reading um, and then Scott if you would pray for us and we'll get busy sure. sure there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this uh, Sunday afternoon where we can come in this room and open up your word and uh, to just study this incredible chapter, Romans 8. What an amazing chapter it is in the Bible, what a feast it is just to be able to think about it even during the week. And Father, as we come to just look at these three verses today, I think it'll be truth that we know uh, about the Spirit dwelling in us, about the Spirit is life because of righteousness, about the future resurrection bodies that we're going to get. I think we know these truths, but I feel like we probably don't dwell on them as we should, so I pray we would be stirred afresh as we consider some truths that I think we know. Uh, may we be even stirred to, to worship as we consider some of these truths and help us to be faithful to your word. Uh, as we expound Romans 8 uh, today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Scott's praying, I think that is sure the truth. These might not be brand new, but what a great reminder. And for us to con continue to think about these through the week, I think it's going to be um, really key. Remember, you probably remember this, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19, maybe 20 times um, in Romans 8. And so this is all about the Spirit's ministry in the life of the believer and it is as scott put it just so comforting and so important that we remember i think life-changing if you read Derek thomas i hope you're reading him hey i hope also you're memorizing romans 8. papa's going to come in and and uh, give us a uh a little six minute um recitation on one of these days but i hope you're memorizing it it's certainly worth it and you got a verse every other day or so and um and you can get it done by the time we're we're finished with it he says that Derek thomas said the holy spirit is jesus personal representative agent in our hearts and i don't think i had thought about it like that the holy spirit is jesus um personal representative agent 
in our hearts. His ministry is the floodgate, is to flood light the ministry of Jesus and to seal his redemptive accomplishments to us. And so if you take notes through the week or would like to, that might be a kind of a neat exercise to do is anytime you see the Spirit mentioned, kind of write down what is his job that he's uh, talking about. Martin Luther, uh, Dr. Um, Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones clearly says that it is not that a man just changes his beliefs and no more. That's what we're seeing here. It's not that you just change your beliefs, but it's when he was in the realm of the flesh, and some of you remember that. Some of you have, I think, an advantage. I don't really remember because I uh, came to know Christ as a little guy. But when he was in the realm of the flesh, and he is now in the realm of the spirit, he was dominated by the flesh before and governed by it. Scott, you've talked about that. That was 23 years of, uh, of not very good, I would say. He is now in a realm which is governed and controlled and dominated by the spirit. You and I cannot make that change ourselves. It's something that God's done. So back to Romans 8 9. This is the past. Romans 8 10 is going to be the kind of the present. Romans 8 11 is going to be our future. So it's kind of an easy um, outline in that way. Carter, you have loved Romans 8. And since you've told me that, I cannot wait for this moment at 207. Let us have kind of what captured you with this verse. I think uh, to begin with, uh, just looking at Paul's transi transition from verse 8 to, um, to 9, where he's talking about you know those in the flesh, those who set their minds on the things of the flesh. But then he turns directly to the sincere believer, and he speaks directly to um, members of the church. Um, so... Back in verse 5, we see, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So I think what uh, kind of captured me at the beginning was that Paul was saying that as believers, you're no longer ha you're no longer bent towards sin. You're you're not left to a life of helplessness in which you are um, you are left in like the the domain of sin. You're not domineered. There's a transition in lordship. You have a new master now. You turn. You've um, come. You've been born again by the Spirit, and you've come to faith in Christ. He is your Lord, and He makes you free in Christ now. Um, so just seeing that was pretty um, pretty powerful. But I think that if we think back to when we were just, we were enslaved to the course of our minds, we could not get past what was in front of us. I mean, who's the bigger fool, the person who worships what he sees or what he doesn't see? Um, I just remember as an unbeliever, just my mind was never like pointed skyward it was never pointed up or anything uh, I don't think it, anyone is ever capable of looking outside what they can see the things of the flesh you know what kind of car you have what how much money you hope to attain in the future what sort of ambitions or goals you wish to uh, mm -hmm. strive for 
But now, since we've been born again by the Spirit, we have eternal hope in Christ. Not to be, not only get to escape God's judgment, but we get to know who God is. Mm. And um, just going a little bit further, just I mean, going back to John, John fourteen. He says, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, "If anyone loves me." He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So just thinking about how when we are born again, that the Spirit is the agent through which the Father and Christ comes and makes and dwells in our hearts. He comes and he changes everything. And of course, when Christ comes into our lives and comes into our hearts and changes us, there's all, that tension just rises. There's mm-hmm. a struggle with sin, like described in chapter seven, mm. that just ramps up like like nothing we've ever known before. And to go on to the second half of that verse, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I was just thinking about how I thought I was a Christian before. Um, I was a nominal Christian. I didn't really care about Christ, didn't really care about His work, didn't really care about other people's souls. I was really um, desensitized to all of that. And when Christ really changes you and when the Holy Spirit, by His grace, enables you to strive for godliness, to strive to know who God is, just because He's good, He's patient, He's kind, I think it's evident, it is so evident in the lives of true believers as opposed to uh, nominal Christians. They're still, they profess Him with their mouths, you know, His name, His praise is on their tongue, but their hearts are far from Him. They're always, I mean, they're still chasing those same things. There's no real difference uh, in their lives. Um, so I think that really resonated with me as I was reading the verses. And that's great. Josh, anything to add there? Kind of yeah. hard to add to that. Yeah, yeah, impossible. Um, I, like Scott prayed, this passage, it was just three verses. So you read it and read it, and throughout the week studying it, some things started to take root, and there's, it's really amazing what Paul is saying here about the Spirit, our resurrected body, and uh, the, the, these two realms he's continuing to contrast. I think our, our verses here, 9 through 11, like Carter mentioned, Picking up Paul's logic from, from 6 through 8, where he's talking about the, the realm of the flesh, the mindset of the flesh, um, this person is hostile to God, they cannot please God, um, they cannot submit to God's law. And then he's setting this, contrasted with the Roman believer's faith. And um, in verse 9, you, however, he switches to the second person, readdressing the Roman Christians, you'll remember that their faith was known all around the world. And of course, I think... Um, most of the people he's writing to were believers. And um, <clears throat> one of the interesting points I think here early on is that in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so for the believer, every believer, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And um believer cannot be in the realm of the flesh and in the realm of the spirit at the same time. It's one or the other. And here's how John Stott put it. Um, The hallmark of the authentic believer is possession or indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Indwelling sin 
is the lot of all Adam's children, but the privilege of all the children of God is to have the indwelling spirit to fight and subdue indwelling sin. And I think in the same way that sin dwells in the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit now takes up that permanent residence in the believer, helping us to fight sin. <clears throat> That's just remarkable. And, more, and Scott, I'm going back to what you just said, because this is so true. We could not ask for anything else. God himself dwells inside of us. I mean, how does that, it can't get better. What's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's, we know this truth. We know that the Spirit of God dwells in all believers across the board, just like Josh is saying. I mean, we, we know this. This is like basic, like beginner level. But do we really think about how incredible, how amazing it is, like the privilege to have the, the third person of the Trinity indwelling our physical bodies is extraordinary. And one pastor, I'm kind of tweaking his illustration, but he was in the UK and he said, uh, say you're having trouble with your septic system, you have trouble with your, your pipes, it's a, whole, it's a foul, filthy mess in your home. He said, you write a letter to the king and say, king, would you please come down here to my house and work on my septic system? He said, there's no way in the world that the king is going to condescend to come to your filthy mess to work on your house. But he said, the Holy Spirit, he comes to our lives. He, Genesis 6, 5, you said, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was our lives. That was our heart. The Holy Spirit comes to us, the cesspit of our lives, he doesn't stay outside of us. He doesn't say, clean this up before I'm going in there. Get it, get it all together. That would be terrible news. He comes and he indwells us despite of this filth. Like the condescension of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, would come to this cesspit of our lives to come inside of us, to transform us, to change us, to begin this restoration process. That is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, that illustration just helped me see, whoa, like what a privilege this is. We become in the sway and in control of the Spirit. These guys are talking about the previous owner is expelled. Like the flesh is expelled. The power of sin is broken. And so it's, it's, the flesh is still there as an unwanted squatter, somebody said. It's still there. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to pay rent to him, but he's, he's still there, but not the same power. The Spirit is the one who's in charge. Uh, he renovates us through and through. But then I mean, let me just read verse 9 again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So he's reminding Christians of what's true of them. But again, I think Lloyd-Jones said, oh, the privilege of being a Christian, like incredible. But just through. Three quick applications. Let me just say the, the end there. The end of verse 9 has struck me. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Well, you just flip it around. Anyone who does have the Spirit of Christ does belong to him. I and mean, that's true. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6, like, we've been bought with a price. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, glorify God with your body. I mean, I think Spurgeon said the most important thing in your biography is the fact that you've been bought with a price. Yes. So he, he owns us. So let me take the applications in reverse. So starting with the fact that he owns us, application would be, since Christ owns me, since we belong to him, nothing can ever pluck us out of his hand. We are absolutely, totally secure. He's begun this good work. He's going to carry it on to completion. So that should give us stability and joy in life, in light of the fact that he's got us held. Second application, the fact that we have the Spirit in us when we're faced with temptations. When we're tempted to despair, the song says, we look to Christ. But also, when we're tempted to despair or to grow weary, remember who is dwelling and residing within you. Just remember who has made his home in you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside our physical bodies. I've gone back to 1 John 4, 4. So many times when I'm facing assaults, temptations, 1 John 4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I mean, pray over 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and pray for strength and help, and he, he will help you. He's stronger uh, than Satan. And then lastly, all believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God, barring this from Ferguson. If we really thought this way about our fellow believers and saw them as people in whom the Spirit of God dwells, would we not treat each other differently? Surely this perspective would evoke love for them and a desire to serve them. I mean, when we meet other believers, we are the family of God. I mean, they, they, you see the family characteristic. They have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. And you, you know that. I mean, you may not think that, but I remember, I've said this maybe before, Chad Keeter, who was with the Navs, Chad and Emily, great couple. 
I met them the first time we were at Brett's. We used to go to Brett's uh, for our meal because we couldn't we didn't use the gym oh, at the yeah. time. I, remember, I can vividly remember talking to Chad for the very first time by the drink machine. I had this in my mind. After like two minutes of talking to this guy, I was like, this guy is born again. This guy's a brother in Christ. This guy loves Jesus. And it's like immediately there was this bond. There was like a knitting together. Well, he has the Spirit of God. I have the Spirit of God. And that should create love and want to serve. Not good. Yeah. Steve, when Miss Nash came to, at pre and it took about three seconds. You know, it was just you, the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit just oozes out of her. And you say, so that is, that's such a joy. If someone's asking, just throw some things out here. There's got to be a desert. If someone asks you, how do you know? Like I'd say an unbeliever, kind of quizzing you about, like, wait a second. You say the Holy Spirit lives inside you. How do you know that? You know, because you can't do an x-ray or a three-phase bone scan and see that he's in there. How do you know? What would you tell him? What are the evidences that you say, oh, no, 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 no. I know he's in there. What do you think, Greg? Uh, it's a few verses ahead, but I'm just kind of glad, like, sometimes Scripture answers the no, question. No, you can cheat you can like that, it. Jerry. We're all right. <laughs> <laughs> but in verse uh, 14, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons yeah, of God. That's good. So it's how the Holy Spirit leads you. You see that. Really good. What else? Just throw them out there. There's a lot of them. Can I answer? I can just throw yeah, them out. Yeah. They love to talk about the person and work of Jesus. Yes. Like Mark always says, people like nominal Christians will talk about the church and all like programs and everything, but you talk about Jesus. Like, do you worship Jesus? Like, is there a desire to talk about the person and work of Jesus? I think that's just because through. that's what the Holy Spirit's doing he inside of us. He's right. bringing glory to Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's interesting enough that the Holy Spirit will never bring glory to Himself. Mm -hmm. Always pointing us to the Father and to Jesus. That's interesting to me. What else? How else do you know? Changing your desires and affections. Yeah. yeah. Just not like you used to be. Got a whole different way of thinking. Whole different desires. Love it. But what else? I love uh, verse 13. But by the Spirit, put it the deeds of the body. Yeah. So you see him helping you put these things to death that don't belong anymore. And now you have a desire to do so. Where Before you were a believer, there wasn't much of a desire uh, to even do so. That's really good. You know, there's so many of those. And, um, and I hope we see the evidence in them every day. Look for that. Hey, and I do think that we, when we read this, we can make sure to... There's a, and I hadn't thought about it when I just read the verse, a commentator uh, said, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, and um, what that the commentator said is, there should be some self-examination. That's not bad for the believer, you know, to say, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you, does the Spirit really dwell in you? Here's the great news. Look at, and we'll cheat. Jerry started us on this cheating trail. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if the Holy Spirit lives within you, one of his roles is to convince you that he does. And I just think that's such an amazing thing. So, but he doesn't want us to be iffy about that. That would be, you know, not, not beneficial. Moose said a change in domination has occurred for those who are united with Christ. Uh, Scott stole a couple of these. What are the ramifications? What are the ramifications of the Holy Spirit lives within you? Let me just give you six real fast. I'm not in control of myself anymore. Whew. 
Is that a good thing? All of us know what that life was like. Right now is a disaster. Waiting to happen every day, every minute. Glum. You know, Matthew 6, 33. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our job now. All I have to do is seek him. He's the one that takes care of everything else. So we're his. We belong to him. The ramifications of belonging to Christ. We love belonging to a family. We love belonging to a church. We want to belong. We belong to Christ. I just don't think you can think about that. No fear, worry, or complaining. Number two, if I belong to Christ, there's no fear anymore. He has us in his, Scott quoted that thing. He has us in his loving right hand. He's not going to let us go. No worry. How would we complain about belonging to Christ? It's the end of 1 Corinthians 6. Scott again quoted it. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, we honor God with our body. The ramifications of the Holy Spirit being with us is and being in us and growing us is that we are we're changed. We were bought at a price. That is what we do. We honor God with our body. We have an audience of one. You know, we're going to get to this 12 and 13 next week. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Okay, so we're still debtors. I like this. But not to the flesh, but to live according to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, Zach said it, you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So we have an audience of one. No longer does it matter what anybody else thinks. The one we belong to. That's, and he's already told us what he thinks. We have that clear. Go back to chapter 4 and go back to chapter 5. Right? The indicatives before the imperatives. We know who we are in Christ, so then we act like this. It's a, There's a change there. Number 5, 14 to 17, we'll talk to us about here in a couple weeks. The Lord is our Heavenly Father. He's perfect 100% of the time. He's perfect in His discipline. He's perfect in His love. He's perfect in what he brings in and out of our life. Every trial is perfect. Every good time is perfect. Every person that comes by your path, that's perfect. Our problems are never our circumstances. Sin's our problem, not our circumstances. And I just love, my dad was, he could have won North America Dad of the Year, like every year as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing. But my dad could listen in heaven and agree with this. The Heavenly Father is a billion times better than my dad. I can't imagine anything better than my dad. He was unbelievable in the way he loved us. Our Heavenly Father, he loves us to such a degree, way more than that. Trust him. Go to him, just like you would want your three or four-year-old to come to you. And then finally, stop the independent nonsense. Right? We belong to him. Don't be independent. That's the last thing we want. And I think we're encouraged by our, our um, sometimes the, our world to like be independent. You're not for one second to be independent. You and I are dependent. We're dependent on him. I think my biggest problem is my independence. I want to go my own way. I want to kind of look, is there some of the grass a little greener on? No. Depend on him. What are some ways, draw some ways that we kind of can know when independence is sneaking in? Anyway, we're, how can you kind of tell? We can't even live the Christian life for one second without him. Good. 
Like yeah. our every breath or every heartbeat is dependent on you. When we start thinking we can maybe do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really good, Jerry. What else? Kind of what else would be a kind of a you know, it's like oh man, independence might be sneaking in or when we get really irritated when things don't go as planned. <laughs> yes. Or our plan. Like our plan. Right. Do well, not trust in God's sovereignty. When we start becoming self righteous yeah. with our acts. Yeah. A little better than the next guy. Look at that group of knuckleheads over there, the way they're acting. Yeah. And I feel really qualified. Yes. Like, when we feel. So I can do this. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. And how many years have you taught kindergarten? 16. Wow. So it probably kind of feels like you get in there and sort of know what you're then doing. We you get those kids that. Oh. <laughs> right. That, that convinces <laughs> that we need yeah. some. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've struggled with that so badly. Oh, I think I thought this before. I could probably do this again. No, it's so good. How about this one, Jerry? When you going off Michelle, when you think you don't need to ask for any advice or help yeah. with things. Yep. <clears throat> Got it. Don't really need anybody's advice. You know, and the one that gets me the most, and Scott, you have been really good. I'm so grateful for you as a brother because to me it's a lack of prayer. It happened as we came in here today. There was a lot of thinking and enjoying the passage, not as much praying. And so I kind of feel like, oh, no, no, I think I can do this. Yeah, but Jesus says it so clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think that's a literal, literally what we can get done without it. And so go to him, race to him often. 810, Scott, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Can you read that for us and kind of go to This is the Christian's present where he is right now okay uh, yeah but if christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness um oh man uh, so i think the beginning of that verse but but if christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin different people were really helpful in this and i know this is going to be counterculture to what our culture wants to think about in terms of death but lloyd jones was so good on, on this verse uh Let's see, I'm wrong page here. But he said, the moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. I mean, that's just crazy because there's a, there's a finite amount of breaths we have. So our first breath is one of the, the, the final we'll ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. The seed of death is in our bodies. The moment we are born, we are beginning to die. Each heartbeat means one less, one closer to eternity. And I know our culture does not want to talk about their own deaths. J.C. Ryle was so good on this. He said, how much more ready people are to talk of the deaths of others than their own. A murder, a sudden death, an accident will completely occupy the minds of a neighborhood and be in the mouth of everyone you meet. I mean, a famous celebrity dies, your whole office will talk about it nonstop. But then if you say, but you're gonna die, they don't want it, they'll be totally uncomfortable when it comes to their deaths. And yet these very persons dislike talking of their own deaths. I mean, it's just so counterculture, and yet it's so true. Like, it's just so obvious. The mortality rate, it's like 10 out of 10, everyone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, that's the idea of the beginning, but then it's the second half is just so good. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So at the same time, in the midst of our physical mortality, our spirit is alive. For we have been quickened, we've been made alive in Christ. It means that even though our physical bodies are dying, we are alive. We are spiritually alive. And again, this one pastor, he told this illustration of being at the beach, and he said, you, you find this stone that's been there for about hundreds of years. It's been smoothed down really nicely. And he says, in the shape of a human heart, the same size as a human heart. He said, you clean that thing up, you take it home. He said, no matter what you do to that dead stone, you cannot make that stone live. You cannot, no matter what you do, no matter how long you wait. He said, that's what we have. We have this dead stone, cold and things of God, like the icy lake. Nothing we could have done. 
could have made that stone live. And yet the Spirit comes and He gives life. He takes that out. He gives us a heart of flesh and he, all these new, new, new hungers, new desires that he, we're called to be born again. Like, it's just an incredible truth. And uh, i got to tell, where's my illustration here? Of uh, Well, Joel Beakey, uh, he's big, big into the Puritans. And I was listening to him this week and he told his conversion story. And it was so powerful. He said that he grew up in a wonderful Christian home. His dad was like an elder for 41 years. They had the Puritans there. Like he had a library of Puritans that he would read from a young age. His dad used to read them Pilgrim's Progress. And he said he would weep. His father would weep explaining Pilgrim's Progress to them. And he said when he was eight or nine years old, he came under deep conviction of sin. And he said it lasted for a while. And he said it then it went away. And then he just pushed it aside and then came back when he was 14. This deep conviction, it was 18 months, he said. He was under deep conviction for 18 months until he was 15 years old, just agonizing over his sins and then it was he's 15 years old it is three in the morning and the spirit breaks him brings new life he just he rejoiced and he said he raced downstairs and he woke his dad up and i would love to see a video of this he woke his dad up and said i'm a christian i've been born again like what joy and there must have been incredible joy and i think we have that's right and good to do that but how often is what i was thinking how often 10 years later five years later do we look back and say i'm a christian like god has called me to be born again we should it should be this continual thing that the Spirit has brought life to me. I think we rejoice at conversion, but so often we just don't think about it. But I think that same joy that Joel B, it should just go deeper in light of that. Like, just we should just have this incredible joy that the Spirit has brought life to me. No, that's really good. I really like your, your point about the Puritans there. And Josh, you're a Puritan fan. Those guys didn't mind talking about death. In fact, it was almost a welcome thing to them, right? Uh, a little bit. Birth is fatal, like uh, Scott's saying. You know, amen, it's born, going to die. Tell us kind of their maybe mindset toward it compared to ours. Yeah, I, the one reason I love the Puritans is because of this guy, and uh, didn't really know who the Puritans were before getting in book club with Scott and hearing um, about them and the way they wrote, but I think one of the themes on maybe the Puritan movement in from a broad scope is that they were not afraid to talk about death. They lived in a culture where death was was uh, a part of the way of life, where contrary to ours, where we're so often insulated from it. I think there's an internal disposition. We don't want to talk about death, but uh, externally, th- uh, death is just not something that we like to focus on. And um, it's not a topic that's very frequent on our minds. Uh, a lot of times I think the culture, there's a pursuit of perpetual youth and beauty. And I was looking at this this morning. The wellness industry is a $3.29 billion industry in the United States alone. So there's massive industry on, on wellness. And not that all of that's bad, but just the point is we don't think or talk much about death. Whereas the Puritans would have said death is the gateway to heaven. Death is, death is the last step before we go to be with God forever. And uh, Richard Baxter was a famous Puritan, and one of his early works was called The Saints' Everlasting Rest, which was a treatise on the blessed state of saints in heaven. And uh, he went on to write many more books. Towards the end of his life, he wrote one called Dying Thoughts, which was an exposition on Philippians 1.23, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And one of the things he said was that there was an inconceivable advantages of being with Christ. And he mentions a few, such as fulfilling God's will in heaven. Uh, death is, is for our good. God's prepared good works for us to do even in heaven. And our worship will be perfect, free of any sin. 
And um, a, a later figure, Jonathan Edwards, maybe a little bit after the Puritan era, but was another pastor who talked frequently about death. And this was from a biography uh, that Tyler Williams recommended. And this quote just, I think, captures his focus really well. Um, <clears throat> Marsden, the writer, says this, Among other things, Edwards challenges the common sense view of our culture that the material world is the real world. Edwards' universe is essentially a universe of personal relationships. Reality is a communication of affections, ultimately of God's love and creatures' responses. Material things are transitory and ephemeral. And he goes on to talk more about that. But his idea there that uh, this life will fade away, this life is not all there is. In fact, our eternal life or our eternal state, being with God in heaven, is what lasts. And that's true reality. So why not set our minds on those types of things? <clears throat> uh, Edward Zumbley, if you get a chance, read his resolutions. We, Scott, you probably are a huge fan of those. How did he think differently because death was always like on his mind? I mean, give us the top 40 things. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the Puritans, I mean, like Edwards, too, he, like, he had to bury some of his kids. Like, they saw death oh, yeah. so up close in our culture. I've read books where they we try to push death all the way away from our eyes. They, we try to make people comfortable until their dying breath. Like we just we don't want to see it. We're just totally uncomfortable with death, and yet it's such a such a reality. And I think they saw it so up close that made them just. We talked about this on Monday. I, like Packer talks about the Puritans. Like they just seem to live on the edge of eternity. We lose out when we don't live. But part of the they had the benefit of seeing death, like in their families, in their homes, and it made them urgent. I mean, you read some of the letters that yeah. like. Edwards wrote to his children. It is moving, like about turning and trusting. Like your time is short. Like he's writing to children that aren't believers. Even the other guys that write, it's just it is moving because they are they're living so in light of eternal yeah. things. He said, "Stamp eternity on my eyeballs," and I, I think he really had eternity stamped on his eyeballs. Yes, and, and, he, and he, there was that urgency when you read his resolutions. You're like he's twenty one or twenty or sixteen so yeah, or yeah, teenager, whatever yeah. he is, and he just lived in such a. And don't you think an excitement? We're almost there. There ought to be a different sort of excitement. Why are we so glum? I don't think we ought to be. Not if we're really thinking about the truth. It's only when the circumstances of this life, um, Steve, you said it, you know, when we just start thinking, hey, wait a second here, this isn't going my way, then all of a sudden we lose focus. And we're, we're not thinking about eternal things. Carter, any, any new thoughts on that? Good. Josh, how about... Um, but, well, let me say one more thing. The idea would be this. This is what uh, I, I think it might have been Schreiner. That even though believers here, talking about verse 10 yet, are um, indwelt by the Spirit, they will still physically die, right? Because of their sin. So all of us are still going to die. You know this to be true. We still struggle with sin. But the full redemption from sin will only come and it will come. It will be guaranteed to come after the resurrection of our bodies mentioned in verse 17 when all sin and weakness will be left aside and just one more um, thing there the righteousness there because of righteousness it has to be speaking of jesus righteousness the righteousness that he has imputed into our account because we have no righteousness um on our own josh you want to read verse 11 and uh let's go go back because this is such a Verse two. Sure. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What do you 
What do you have for us there, Josh, on the yellow sheets? Yeah, <laughs> I think this verse, <clears throat> I've used it before in, in counseling, maybe wrongly to talk about how the Spirit helps us fight sin, which I think is definitely true. Even in 12 and 13, it's what it's talking about. But I think the meaning of the verse here is that there's a reference to a future bodily transformation, a future mm-hmm. bodily resurrection, just the way that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, who will also raise uh, dead Christians' bodies from the grave. And I think that's what Paul is getting at um, in, the, in the verse. Get all three members of the spirit of the spirit are in view here, right? The spirit, Jesus, and uh, and and God Himself, and so it's interesting to me that it's mentioned twice in one verse that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, amongst many other things. I think don't ever feel like, and I love what you're saying, Michelle, that we can sometimes get a self adequacy or think that we're adequate, but. Through him, we really can do what he's called us to do. There isn't no temptation as sees this, um, except what's common to man. God is faithful. The one who lives inside you is faithful. He will provide that way of escape. And not only will he provide you the way of escape to escape that temptation, but he will also give you the desire to do it and the motivation to do it. And they and and so I just think twice this is can't be an accident that two times and nothing in scripture is two times it's mentioned that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead two primarily to say you're going to be raised from the dead as well your resurrection but also I think to remind us of just the power Scott yeah I mean I think he's people said he's working to a climax in verse 11 like from these few verses and the climax is a specific promise about physical resurrection there is a time coming when even your body is going to be raised. And John Stott, we are eagerly awaiting this event. And I said, well, are we? Like, are we really eagerly awaiting this amazing event where we're going to be freed from this body of sin and death, have a glorified body like Jesus' glorified body? I mean, this is, again, this is stuff we know. But do we think on, like, this is absolutely amazing what, what's coming? And Lloyd-Jones just said, how can we be dejected? How can we be unhappy? Our very bodies are to be glorified. And Alistair Begg told a story about a guy who was suffering from severe brain cancer. He was a Christian guy. He was in a hospital and he had incredible joy. Despite this severe brain cancer, he had this incredible joy. And there was a non-Christian nurse who came in to, to help him that particular morning. And she worked with him and she left him and she wrote in his file a negative comment about him. She said, the patient is inappropriately joyful. The patient is inappropriately joyful. She cannot make sense. How is he so joyful? He has got brain cancer. He's going to die. He should not have this joy. And Beg said this. It makes perfect sense, does it not? She must think he is out of his mind or he knows something that she doesn't know. Well, guess what? He knows someone she doesn't know and that someone knows him, loves him, has saved him, is going to give him a resurrected body one day. He was essentially living in light of verse 11 of Romans 8. She thinks this is totally inappropriate that he has joy, but she doesn't realize what's behind the joy. He's had his sins forgiven. He's adopted into God's family. He's been, uh, he's going to have a resurrected body one day. All things are working together for good for this man. If she knew all that, she would say this is a perfectly appropriate, joyful response. So I just think that's, that man is how we should be if we're living in light of these truths. What's yeah. Gonna come? Um, those of you guys that have gone through Romans 8, I know Shane, Thomas, uh, I would love to hear any thoughts that you have if you have something that's struck from this. But Josh, any kind of closing thoughts there? that you have 
I was going to read this earlier, maybe, but we were hitting on the application so good. But with, um, I think this passage, super short, three verses, but there's so much hope in these three verses. I think we could go to and talk through the truths and promises with somebody who might be hurting a little bit or might be going through trials a little bit, but to point out these realities that we will have a resurrected body one day and that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and is with us every day. I'm just thinking what great comfort and hope that gives us as we live the Christian life that um, we, you know, I talked about this last week, we're not entitled to, but we get to talk about this to other people and we get to share this message and this great news with uh, those that are around us. So that's all I got. Yeah. I can just read something from Boise. It kind of sums up stuff that y'all probably read too, but this is from James Boyce. He said, Christians are people whose past has been altered before they were dead in sin. Now they are alive in Christ. Their present has been altered too. They have been awakened to the reality of God, the beauty of the scriptures, and the presence of the spirit of God and other Christians. Theirs is a whole new world. Finally, they have a changed future before them, for in time death will be overcome. They will be raised in a new resurrection body, like the resurrection body of Jesus, and will be with God and Jesus Christ forevermore. I think that's a really good summary of maybe the three verses, but I remember reading Randy Alcorn about heaven one time, and I've mentioned this multiple times to people, and he, he talked about how you're going to have a resurrected body, and you'll be with your other friends or other believers, and he said you'll have a stronger body than any modern decathlete. You'll be walking around. He said you reach up and you grab a piece of fruit. He said you bite into it. It's the sweetest fruit like you've ever had. And he said and then Jesus is there. I mean, it moved me to tears. This one little paragraph, just thinking how mind-blowing the future. And I just think... We just need to soak on these truths more, and it will change. It will get, make us very excited about what's going on. It will make us very excited, and probably equally as mind blowing that we don't think about it very much. I know that's ours. That's ours to to think about. We belong to Him, and that that goes with it. Anything that kind of comes to mind on that, Shane? I just think you, we have such great confidence in the fact that there is no condemnation for us, and yeah. what joy that produces in our hearts, because. It's not anything that we can do on our own. If you read through these short three verses, you see that it is Christ who is indwelled within us through the Holy Spirit, that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And if we could, we would lose it as quickly as we gained it. Yeah. And man, I mean, like, like Scott's saying, like what great hope that produces in us for something that's greater than this earthly body that is wasting away. Well, that's good. Shane pointed out a really good point. There is strong language in Romans 8. And we know, Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that's not something that's iffy. There's, it's a sure thing. There is therefore no condemnation. Not. It's over. It's done. There isn't anything else. Last year, when a guy came in and talked to us about Romans uh, eight thirty nine, um, I love it. Thirty eight. Um, for I am sure. That neither life nor death. So Paul here really, really wants us to grasp the security that we have of in Christ. That's not an iffy thing, right? Even in 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Could better be translated maybe since God is for us, who can be against us? It's no question that he's for us. He's for us. And that's, yeah, I mean, continue. Um, Oh, I see the black book. Good deal, Thomas. What do you have? When that opens, we know we're going to get some good stuff. I, I don't know if I have much to add. I just like um, you pointed out that you know we don't have to live in fear because of the spirit that dwells in us. And I just think back to uh, Romans 5. talks about the hope that doesn't disappoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. Which is very comforting to me. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. And faith 
and um, joy spring from that hope. If our hope is wrong, if your hope is in tomorrow, then it's not going to be a very good day. If your hope is in eternal things, you're really good. This life is abundant and eternal, and uh, we need to think think like that. Steve Cross, could you please close us and ask the Lord for grace that we can remember these phenomenal truths? It's so exciting. Sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is such a joy and privilege to come before your throne of grace to open up the feast of, that we find in your word. Thank you for uh, Jerry and the guys for studying and sharing. But my prayer for all of us, Father, is that as we, as we leave this place, the truth, the joy, the grace, the wonder of these verses would not leave us. That we, through the power of your Spirit living and dwelling in us, would reflect, would be uh, reminded, our joy would be renewed as we uh, just contemplate both the magnificence and the miracle of your Spirit living in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Set your mind on things above this week.